Good morning, good morning, good morning. We're continuing our series, Jesus Is. If you have a Bible with you, take it out. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be today. Luke chapter 15. We're going to actually read the whole chapter today uh, in service. I do not usually do that much scripture, but it's really a good place to start with your sermons. Um, the scripture, that is. So Luke chapter 15. If you have a phone, you version uh, is a great way uh, to download as many Bibles as you possibly could ever want uh, onto your phone. It's always with you in your pocket. Um, and that's a totally free app. It's provided by a church in Oklahoma City. Um, so um, take advantage of that. If you would like to have a Bible and you don't have one, uh, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. Feel free. If you don't have another Bible, to take that home with you today. It is okay. You're not stealing from the church. The pastor said so, okay? Uh, It's totally fine. I know it feels awkward sometimes. Um, But um, now, if you have a collection of 15 at home collecting dust, do not take that Bible. You're already abusing other Bibles. Uh, But uh, not to add to your Gideon collection you've taken from hotels, all right? But uh, there's that. Luke chapter 15, we are exploring what, who Jesus is. The question, we hear all kinds of stuff about Jesus, about things about Jesus, and there's lots of misinformation about Jesus. There's lots of, uh, you know, you watch the History Channel for five minutes, you're going to get all kinds of weird things about Jesus. But who is Jesus really? And so last week we talked about Jesus as friend. This week we're going to delve into what, how Jesus is grace. And this word grace uh, gets thrown around a lot, but I don't know. It's kind of one of those churchy words. It's like you can't get in trouble at church by using the word grace. Like, oh, just the grace. It's, it's right up there with Jesus, Holy Spirit, God as one of the Sunday school answers. I'm just going to, grace, it's the answer, right? No. What is it really, though? Can we go through all of life without actually understanding what grace is? And I think grace is actually one of these words we've made way too complicated. We've put all this stuff around it, and grace is actually the, the, the antonym, the opposite of complicated. Grace is simply the favor of God. The favor of God. The favor of God. Now, you might have other definitions playing in your head right now that you've been taught. Those are probably true as well, but simply... Grace is the favor of God. Now, does the favor of God mean that God's going to cause me to, to win the lottery? No, all right? Is he going to pay all your bills and, and get your, you a brand new Mercedes? This is not what we're talking about, the favor of God. The favor of God is basically God smiling on you. The word grace and the word joy are one letter apart in the Greek. One letter what, what, I mean, it's like a difference between an A and an E, okay? So they are the same root word is actually the word cheerful. So, but when I think of the word grace, I don't think of joy and I don't think of cheerful. I think of God's redeeming act on my life and washing away my sins and all this big theological stuff. When actually I've made it all about all this other stuff. And actually what grace is about is God smiling at you and bringing joy to him. And so if we reframe what grace is and we kind of maybe take away some of all the rules and the stuff that we've thrown on top of it, when we really look at grace, it's about God smiling at you. Because if an infinite being of infinite creativity and infinite love smiles at you, that's probably a good thing, right? And that is the favor of God. So hopefully we've taken a really complex 
thing and kind of boiled it down here for you. But grace is the favor of God. Last week we talked about Jesus craves to make whole the broken. And this week we're going to turn that a little bit differently because the word at the end uh, there, lost and broken, is actually the same word. It can be defined either way. So if you think about it, a lost thing is a broken thing because it's not of use, right? Anything broken means I can't use it. Well, if I've, it doesn't matter if I've bought the nicest tool in the world. If I lose it, I just depleted my bank account, right? So uh, lost and broken really are the same thing. But this is kind of Jesus's mission statement found in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, which says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is just a different translation of that. Jesus craves to make whole those who are lost. And to explore that today, we're going to talk about three stories in the Scripture. They're all found in Luke chapter 15. They are the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Parables, if you spent any time at church at all, you've probably have heard a hundred times. And if you're like me, I've been hearing and reading this story my whole life. And last night around the kitchen table preparing for this message, I just had one of those moments where I was like, oh, <laughs> and I was like, oh. so Kelly got this message already last night about nine o'clock because I couldn't hold it in. I was so excited about this. Something I've read probably close to a thousand times just last night. I was like, what? You know that commercial with the purple smoke coming out of people's brains? That was me in my dining room last night. Mine blown because of what God is doing in this story. And so I want to hopefully cause purple smoke to go all over the sanctuary this morning. No, but just as we step into the beauty and the genius of who Jesus is. And in this grace, and what is God dealing with in this race, in this, in this actual grace? <clears throat> so let's turn, hopefully you're there in Luke chapter 15. Verse 1 says this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Ew, Right? Pharisees and, and law people are the mean girls club, uh, but that's this is what's going on here. So here in this verse, you're setting the stage. Who is the audience? So Jesus is hanging out in somebody's living room. If we talked about Zacchaeus a lot last week, right? And this is three chapters before, or a few chapters before then, so it's not the same thing, but it's the same kind of house party. This is the kind of party that would have been going on at Zacchaeus's house, all right? Does that make sense for, for context? So they show up. And it's probably in a, a courtyard-type house. And so the house is going to be built in a square. And then in the middle will be this airy area where people can hang out. Because you don't have air conditioning, so you need airflow, right? You're in the desert. You know, It's a good August day. It's 120 degrees outside. I've been there for it. It was not fun, okay? Um, so, so you want to be somewhere open air. And, but they want to crowd around and hear what Jesus has to say. And so people are kind of just like wandering in and out of people's houses because... Well, it just that's what you do for entertainment. Um, you thought gossip was bad now. That would have been crazy. But anyway, uh, so you walk, you walk in the house, and you're there, and you're kind of inviting yourself to listen to Jesus. And so these people keep on crowding around. And we don't know if it's a Pharisee's house. We don't know if it's a tax collector's house or who, who it is. But we know their presence. And so we know that they're there. And we, I, I just have in my mind 
this Jesus is sitting down to talk to some people, and and people are kind of like wandering in, and they can hear something going on and hear voices, and they kind of what's going on? And a tax collector, who's basically this mafia boss that we've talked about last week, walks in. What's this guy talking about? This prostitute walks in, trying to hide, because these Pharisees will like throw rocks at her if they see her. They're hiding and they're, they're, they're staying next to the tax collector of Mafia Boss because he knows they'll protect him. I mean, this is, this is what's really going on here, okay? This is, and, and you have these other people, you know, the guy, uh, the, the town drunks like wandering in, and you have all these people just kind of like, what's this Jesus all about? And the Pharisees are there, and, the, and the, the law people are there just like, what's this Jesus all about? Asking as well, and how can I make him wrong? And how can I yell at him? And how can I find fault in him? So that's what's going on here. But notice how Jesus is already, in, the, in this first verse, he is putting people, he's showing the dichotomy between the two. Go back to verse 1 on the board, please. Uh, sir, thank you. Uh, the tax collectors are, what are they? They are rebels. They are traitors. They are as far away from a good Jew as you possibly can get. He juxtaposes that. That's the, your word of the day. He juxtaposes that against... The Pharisees, who are as good of Jews as you possibly can get. They're the ones that do everything right. They're the goody-two-shoe people, right? That's who they are. So he's, he's taking the tax collectors that are there, the Pharisees are there. They're the opposite sides of the coin. Does this make sense? He does it again with the sinners are there, and then the people who write the laws are there. What is a sinner? Someone who breaks the law. So the breakers of the law and the lawgivers are in the same room. Do you see how he's juxtaposing these two? These stories are going to be speaking right to the heart of both of these groups. And he's picking them out, and he looks at his audience, because he's in this room, kind of like this. If I was just sitting there and going, you know what? I know your story, and I know your story, and I know your struggle, and I know your kids, and I know what they're going through. And so I don't want to talk exactly to what you're doing, but I want to maybe do something applicable to your life. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's seeing them for who they are. And he's like, you know what? I don't need to call out the prostitute for being a prostitute. She knows she's a prostitute. But I got to speak some sort of truth into her life to lift her up in this. And I also have to, I see this Pharisee and I see he's, he's so close to the right things, but he's just missing the point. I got to speak somehow right into him. And this is what Jesus is doing in this room. And that's what these three stories are going to do. He's sitting there and he looks at them and he goes, you know what? I see broken people. I see messy people. I see hurting people. How am I going to put value in them? How am I going to speak grace into them? How am I going to let them know that they're not too far away from the favor of God? Because you look at people in that room. You, get, you see a tax collector. He's probably given up ever actually pleasing God, and he doesn't care anymore. But he knows something inside of him is not sitting right. He knows something is just rubbing the wrong way. That's why he's drawn to Jesus in the first place. And all these other people drawn in there as well. And so in these broken people, in these messy people, Jesus decides to start speaking truth. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who did not need to repent. 
Immediately, he cuts to his audience. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He is going right at the fringe of the group. You know, the front row sitters are your Pharisees and your law people out with their notebooks going, uh, that was wrong, and this was wrong, and uh, nope, no, no, Jesus, you're just, you're just wrong. And he's like, I don't even care about you. You know, my spit as I talk to those people is going to hit you in the face. I don't, Jesus is probably nicer than me, but that's okay. Uh, he's, he's speaking to him. He's like, listen, 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 listen. All these lost people, 99 people know where they're at, but that one lost one, I'm going to go after it. Now, this is a big deal. Everyone would have already known the farming implications of this. This is a rich guy. This is a loaded guy. To have 100 sheep, he is, he's got funds, okay? And so for this one, but this one being gone, it's a lot of money. Think about how a sheep, you shear it every year. It's reciprocal. It's an investment. This is like losing a hundredth of his mutual funds, right? If you lost a hundredth of yours, you go, where'd that money go? I'm going to go find it. And so that's what he does. He goes and finds it. And this idea, I, I love this imagery of him searching the pasture and going and finding the sheep and picking it up by the, the hindquarters and the, the scruff of the neck and just putting it on his shoulders. And, Let's go home. If you've watched, I've been watching a lot of Alaska Last Frontier. The season's over, very unfortunately. But uh, me and my kids love to watch this. I have something wrong. I think my kids are learning to gut animals from from this, but that's okay. Um, they're only six, so uh, I might need some counseling, but or then later, I don't know. Um, but we watch the show, and it really shows you how when one of their cows, if you've seen it, the cows get out, the cows go off, and they stop everything. Everybody from all over the homesteads, they don't care about the 50 cows that are in the middle of the, the, the grass. They're worried about the one that might go get eaten by the bear. It's exactly what Jesus is doing, talking about here. And so because we don't, I don't know all of you, but I'm pretty sure you don't have 100 sheep in your backyard. It would make lawn care way easier. But uh, you don't have 100 sheep out there. So we don't get that frame of reference. But everyone there would have understood perfectly. So a couple weeks ago, I'm out in the, in the driveway working on a project. Now, my old dog, Joy, would never leave my side out in the front yard. <laughs> she would sit next to me. She'd lay there. If a kid ran by, a squirrel, whatever, she might go, oh. and she'd say, that's, that's too much energy. I'm 12. You know, I got arthritis. I got, I got a bad, yeah, she's just, ah, whatever. That's, that's a young dog's game. Well, I got an eight-month-old golden retriever right now, and I'm trying to teach her the ways of joy. Uh, joy is no longer with us, but we still would like to, uh, like to have this. Right, so she's out there laying next to me, and, and out walks um, the neighbors across the street have a 10-month-old baby, and he's doing the weevil wobble, right? It's not really walking, it's wobbling. Uh, so it's this, and they, they make a, you know, down the driveway in a half an hour time. <laughs> That's just how, how they walk. And, and Sophie is the dog's name, is, sees him and wants to go lick the baby because that's her divine calling in life is to lick people in the face. And so she sees, and she's, I'm like, no, no. And she just tucks, and she's like, I'm doing it wrong. And the tail's underneath. She knows she's going to get beat. She knows the consequences for action, and she crawls quickly across the street towards this 10-month-old baby. I'm like, ah, and, uh, and so she's moving at a rapid speed, and the, the grandpa grabs her by the collar, and she's still wagging the tail, wagging the tail, and trying to go. I get over there. I'm not a happy camper because I can't have my 70-pound dog running at 10-month-old babies. This is a no-no. Uh, in case you were wondering, that is a bad thing. And she's not going to do anything, but she just will knock him down. And so I grab her by the rear, and the neck, and just put her on my shoulders. Now, 
the scripture says he joyfully puts on his shoulders. I don't I placed said dog on my shoulders. And she immediately just wilts. It's like wraps around my neck like, I'm going to die. She, but she knows, she, but she knows, okay, I, I'm, I'm here. And I just have a hold of her, and I'm not beating her yet or anything. Like, not, don't call animal control on me. And so I got a hold of her, and she just kind of collapses around my neck. And she just enjoys the ride back home. Why do I do that? Because I don't have a leash with me. I can't be like, all right, come, come with me. I can't, because she's going to want to go back to wandering around, isn't she? She's going to want to go back to the baby. That's way more attractive than me. And so I put her on my shoulders and I took her home. And I, I just think this, really the body language of, of Sophie taught me something about what this would have been like. That They would all had that playing in their head. They would all known, yep, I served a tour as a shepherd, as a shepherd boy. I had to put those sheep on my stinking shoulders and take them home. They, they all would have known that. But when I did that, I went, oh, man. It's just, let's go home. Right? And so people, Jesus is telling the story for a very specific reason. There's people in that group who know, they're like, and you might be like this this morning, wandering around, and they walked in there, and they're like, I have no idea how I got where I'm at. I have no idea how life is the way it is right now. I don't know what mistakes I made. I don't know what happened. Because when you start eating grass, and you're just going, and you're just doing life, and you're just chilling like a sheep should, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a canyon, uh-oh, right? But that happens to us as humans all the time. We start making choices. We start chasing our career. We start chasing that relationship, and we start making choices and following and following. And fo- oh, man, I have no idea how to get home. And it's not necessarily a conscious decision to be disobedient to God. It was just you were making choices, and then you looked around and went, oh, and so there's people in that room right then that's got to be identifying with, with Jesus saying, yep, I'm that sheep. Can somebody put me on some shoulders? Can I go home? I just want, okay, take me home. Right? That's what's going on here in this moment. And so he's speaking directly to the people in that, in that room saying, you can go home. You can get picked up. Your God wants to pick you and put you on his shoulders and take you home. There's somebody in this room right now that's going, yes, I am lost. I don't know where to go right now. I don't know how I, fa- I got in this place. Take me home. Grace is a God that will seek us when we wander off. Grace is a God that will seek us when we wander off. Grace is a God that will seek us when we wander off. Because rules say, you know what? You deserve to be lost. You should have GPS that. Of course, yeah, you, know, you put blinders on and you, now you found yourself in a bad spot and yep, you get what you want. The wolves are going to eat you because you made a stupid choice. But grace says, I'm going to go find you. I'm going to go pick you up. I'm going to go carry you home. The next parable he says, this is, this is so cool because this is just rapid fire. He sees the room and this is what he's doing. Next one is this. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. 
Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I found my lost coin! In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, this may sound funny because we think of coins. We're like, yeah, Jared, have you looked at my couch? I don't throw a party. You know, I'm not invited to a lot of parties because somebody cleaned the cushions in the couch and found $3 in dimes, right? And that's, that's how our mentality thinks about coins. Oh, what's the big deal? Well, this is really a, probably a silver talent. It's probably one of them, and it's probably about a third of her yearly income. Maybe, let, maybe a little more. The you know, conversion rates are a little iffy. But there is, this is worth a ton of money. This is a tenth of her life savings that she's lost. And I don't know how you lose that. Coins don't get up and roll away. <laughs> but what thought to me was, he's speaking, Jesus is speaking directly to the people who feel like they are just forgotten. The people that it feels like life has just passed me by, that no one cares about me, that I'm just in the corner under the crack, under, you know, collecting dog hair tumbleweeds, that that's all I'm doing. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm searching for you. My mission in life is to seek and save the lost. I crave to make whole broken things. And he said, you're not forgotten. You're not worthless. You're not hidden. I'm going to find you. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to polish you. I'm going to clean you. And when you're found, we're going to throw a party. That's what Jesus is saying. You're not forgotten. That, that's not, that layer of dust isn't what I had for you. Grace is a God that will search for us even if we don't know we're lost. And I wonder if there's that people in this, that, that room. I'm fine. I'm good. Sure, there's a little interesting things going on, but I'm okay. Grace is a God that will search for us even when we don't know we're lost. We're, we are lost. The third story, and this is the famous one. This is the one everyone's been told a billion times. But think about it in this context. Who he's speaking to? Tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees, and lawgivers. Jesus continued. There's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth on wild living. Now, this is very interesting. Basically, he says, Daddy, I wish you were dead. Can I go ahead and have my inheritance? Because that's when you get it, right? That's when you, you, don't, you don't ask for, man, I really wish you'd go ahead and croak so I could get that money. I feel that your will would be rewritten <laughs> if, that, if that happened. But that is what he's saying. I wish you were already dead so I could go ahead and do my own thing and not have to worry with you anymore. And then he takes it, and the father says, okay, go ahead. But he squanders it on wild living. And I think this is a context thing. This is an audience thing, because he's looking at the prostitutes, the tax collectors. They know wild living. Right? They're like, oh, yeah, I got that. 
that's me. <laughs> so that's me in there. And he's saying, you know, it's quite, he doesn't have to go into all their sins. He doesn't have to go, you know, enumerate them. He's just a wild living. And they're like, mm-hmm. 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole land. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. At this time, the Pharisees are like, this guy is a loser. He's touching unclean things. He's doing things that make him far from God. He's he's disrespected his dad. He's breaking all the commandments. Oh, this guy is terrible. I mean, they're just getting cranky about this story. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to him to his father. This is one of the most beautiful verses in the whole scripture. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. While he was still far off, he ran to him. This is a son that said, I wish you were dead, dad. And the dad runs to him. I know. Uh, if you're back there and you couldn't hear, the kids were cheering down here. Uh, and uh, that was awesome. It was perfect timing. Uh, so. <laughs> but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. But put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to party. Grace is a God who will run to you even when you are wrong. Grace is a God who will run to you even when you are wrong. And there had to be people in that room going, ooh, I'm that son. And they're thinking, they're like, how do, I, how do I go home? I need to go home. It's time. There's people going, that's me spiritually. I need to get right with God. I've done all the wrong things. I've done all the things that should disqualify me. I've gone, done all the things that have taken me away from him. I've done all the, the dumb things. I've broken all the commandments, all the rules, all the lists. I need to go home. That's what's going on here in the scripture as he's speaking directly to those people. And I think it speaks to us as well. Grace is a God who will run to you even when you are wrong. It is the favor of God. It is the smile of God. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he is back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, 
All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. What I heard was, wah, 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 you don't love me, wah, 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 wah. (laughs) My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He, is, he was lost and is found. Grace is a God who will love you in spite of your legalism. Because this guy has made it about the rules and not the relationship. And God and, and Jesus in this moment is speaking directly to these Pharisees, the front rowers. And he's saying, listen, it's not about if you dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's perfectly. It's that you've gotten away, you've gotten mad at God because you're not the, the perfect one. You've always been with me. You're my firstborn. It's all yours. We got a party when they come home. And he's speaking directly to them. And I think to us, at Church of God at Anderson, if you're new to this church or new to this uh, movement, you don't know this, but for about 120 years, we've been really, really good at legalism. About, you know, what to drink, what to smoke, what to chew, what to dance to, what to do. Everything. Like, there was rules, 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 rules. We are a holiness movement church, which means uh, we are trying to get as close to God as we possibly can in human perfection here on earth and get rid of that junk in our lives, whatever it is. I'm not passing judgment on those. But, and so that's who we've been. And we've been really, really good at saying no. We've also been really, really good at spiritually abusing people and being Pharisees. I know I grew up in the Church of God church, okay? And some of you are like, ah, did you go to my church? Uh, so, but we, we've been really good at that. And what has happened and what we have done and what people and what the Pharisees were doing is they made it about the rules and not the relationship. Out of the relationship, all the other stuff is going to take care of itself. If I'm drawing close to God's heart, I'm going to be convicted of all the junk in my life. I don't need you telling me about it. That's the Holy Spirit's role. what happens here is Jesus says it's about the relationship. And if you read the Old Testament, it's always about the relationship. In fact, they asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then he goes, and the second, glad you asked, is love your neighbor as yourself. What do these do? They are relationship commandments. They are about loving, which is relationship. Love is not a rule. Love is the relationship. How do I love God better? With all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. It comes, all of it boils down to the relationship. The rest of the rules are about helping that relationship take place. If you read the Old Testament, you read the prophets, you read about when Israel gets in trouble. If you read about when the grace of God is removed, when the favor of God is removed from the people, it's always because they have dissolved and done the commandment, done sins that have hurt that relationship. When they have put another idol in front of him, when they have chosen something else, when they've chosen to trust a different God, when they have done things, when they've refused 
to have relationship with God. Because Jesus, the Son of God, craves, or sorry, messing up my things. Son of God seeks to save the lost. That's what he comes for. And it's come to restore relationship. Grace is a God who will love you in spite of your legalism. Relationship, not rules, is what Jesus is about. Relationship's messy. Relationship's harder. Relationship gets sticky and it hurts. Rules are easy, right? Rules make relationships. Okay, you do this, this, and you're cut off. And I can feel okay about just writing you off or pushing you away or getting rid of you in my life because you broke the rules, right? And we are hardwired to rules. You ever seen four and five-year-olds play a game? They are like, they are like the UN. The, you, you, they play for three minutes, and it's like, I've got all 86,000 rules. And you're like, whoa, 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 because they want to protect themselves. They don't want to get mad. They don't want, to, they don't want all these ways in which they, they play for three minutes. They, somebody throws a punch at somebody, and like, we need rules. Because relationship is hard. But it's about relationship, not rules, that Jesus is about. And that's what he's speaking in this time. He's speaking that to the people in the back rows, and he's speaking to the people in the front rows. He's saying that the relationship that you have with God is important. We are serving. There's a God out there who will go and search for you. There's a God out there that will search for you. He will go through the valleys and the hills and the and the ravines and the canyons and search for you. And when he finds you, he will pick you up and put you on his shoulders and take you home. There's a God out there that when you feel like you are not important, when you feel like you don't matter, he will clean the house for you and he will polish you off and he finds you. And when he finds you, he's throwing a party. That you are not worthless. You are not ignored. You are valuable. You are important. There's a God out there that when you have messed up and you've willfully taken your way and you've run the other way as far as you possibly can and you wanted to get away from and you said, God, I wish you were not my God. I wish you weren't a reality. I wish you weren't here. Still a God that when he sees you make that turn and repent, he will run to you. And there's a God there that despite our legalism, he says, I love you and I want to have a relationship with you anyway. I care about you and I care about this relationship that we have. This is the God, and this is what grace is. This is what Jesus is. It's about the favor of God. It's about the smile of God. God saying, you know what? I want, I want you. I know there's stuff. I know there's things. I know there's yucky stuff, but in relationship, there's always going to be messes, but I want you. Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. That's what he's about. And it's not about, he's not looking at a list going, oh, you're disqualified. I don't, wanna, I don't have to talk to you anymore. Oh, you're, you're gone. I don't have to do this anymore. How do I, he's always searching, coming at different angles. How do I restore this relationship? And that's what Easter is actually all about. He finally says, you know what? I'm tired of doing half measures. I'm tired of doing little things. I'm going all in. And we're going to talk about that more and more in the coming weeks. This God that we serve, this God that I'm talking about, he loved the prostitutes, he loved the tax collectors, he loved the people in the room, he loved the Pharisees, and he loved the, the, the lawgivers, all of them at the same time. 
you know what? He loves you as well. Wherever you're at, whatever you've been doing, wherever you find yourself, he desires relationship, a restorative relationship with you as well. He longs to have his grace, to have his smile fall down on you. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you so much for today. And Lord, we ask you to restore the relationship. God, some of us right now in this moment just want to be picked up. We just want to be held by our daddy. We don't know where we are. We don't know how we got this place. We don't know what's been going on. But we know we need something different. We know we need to be restored. We know we need to be hugged. We know to be, be picked up. And God, would you do that for us this morning? Some of us have feel, felt ignored for a long time, unimportant, and pushed off to the side. And God, we ask you to come alongside us this morning and hold us to find us, Lord. God, some of us this morning have been making the wrong choices. We just willfully ran away from you. And God, right now, I just pray that somebody in this room would just turn and go home. That we'd turn and we'd change our ways and say, God, will you, will you take me home? And God, will you be faithful to run to us? Wherever we find ourselves, whatever our past, whatever our decisions, God, we thank you that you are a God who will run to us, pick us up in that bear hug and hold on to us. God, if we've been guilty about judging other people, if we've been guilty about getting mad at people because they didn't follow the rules perfectly, God, will you forgive us in our hypocrisy? God, will you remind us it's about our relationship with you, not just the silly rules? Lord, we love you. We're trying to love you more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.